Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. My flesh, in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How many, how my heart yearns within me. Uh, Daniel 2, or 12, 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 26, 19. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. There's a lot more than this. I have a few more here. Uh, Psalm 16:10. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. That's in reference to Christ. Psalm 49:15. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to Himself. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 25:8. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in Isaiah 26:19, Your dead shall live together. With my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. I found three resurrections. In the, any comments or questions about what we just read in the Old Testament? This is background. I uh, found three resurrections recorded in the Old Testament. There may be more. Uh, Isaiah raises the widow's son, 1 Kings uh, 17. Uh, Elisha raises the Shunammite son, 2 Kings 4. And then this one's kind of weird. Uh, maybe you guys remember this one. Elisha died, and they buried him. Now the bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year. As they were burying the man, behold, they saw a marauding band, and they cast the man into the grave of Elisha. And when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. <laughs> Second Kings 13. So those are the only three I could find. Um, can you guys think of any other ones? I mean, there was a potential one, right, with Abraham and his son, right? He believed that God would raise him if he killed him. I, can't, I couldn't find any other ones. I mean, there's the promise of, of that in Ezekiel 36, the valley of the dry bones. Yeah. But that's not a, that's a vision. That's a vision. <laughs> so, so this is not, I mean, it's not common, but it's not unusual. So we, we, we've seen this in the Old Testament as well. Um, as we talked about, Jesus has a habit of, like, taking over the feasts and, <laughs> and, uh, I can't think of the word that I'm using for, but he, he kind of takes over those feasts and, and appropriates them to himself. And we'll find out in, at the end of chapter 10 that we're going to be here at Feast of Dedication, which is around December. So talk about that a little bit as well. Um, <coughs> before we get to John 11, and we have to review the end of chapter 10 to get the whole context of the story. Okay, would somebody like to read that for me? At the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. It was probably in the portico because it had, you know, it was winter, it's probably raining, it's probably cold, so it was probably there, and plus people met there and talked theology and that kind of stuff, so it's probably why he was there. What is the Feast of Dedication? Does anybody know? No? Okay. In 167 BC, the Syrian Antiochus IV Epiphanes overran Jerusalem and polluted the temple, setting up a pagan altar to displace the altar of Israel's God. Eventually, the Jews grew strong enough to overthrow the oppressor, and under the leadership of Judas Maccabeus, uh, Judas the Hammer, <laughs> They recaptured the temple and reconsecrated it to God on 25 Kislev in 164 B.C. Quote from D.A. Carson. Um, 
when they when they finally came back into the temple, they, there was weeds and stuff growing up, and, and you know, in like the courtyard, and the gates were burned, and the place was a mess, and they they took the altar that had been polluted by Antiochus, and they actually they didn't really want to sacrifice you know any offerings to God on it because it had been polluted. So this was a stone that had been cut without hands. No, no hands were worked on it. So they took it out somewhere waiting for a prophet to tell them what to do with it and they replaced it with another stone altar that had not been cut with hands. So this feast of dedication celebrates all of this, mm-hmm. all of this that happened. Yeah, so they rededicated the temple. They came in and they rededicated this thing. This feast is also called the Feast of Lights, or we call it Hanukkah today. That's what mm-hmm. they, when you celebrate Hanukkah, that's what they're celebrating, this Feast of Dedication. And it happens, as we know, right around Christmas time. So, a question. Did Jesus fulfill this celebratory feast, and if so, how? Things I just told you. Can anybody think of anything? He's in the process of doing it. Right there, yeah. he's, he is the sacrifice and the priest, and in the heavenly of heavenlies, he'll be sacrificed. Yeah, he's also the stone that was cut without hands, mm. right? Um, he's also the light of the world. Mm. They would light this big menorah, okay? Um, and then Jesus consecrated the altar of heaven with his own blood, mm. Hebrews mm. 9 23 to 25. So that's how Jesus fulfilled this particular feast and kind of took it over. So, Jesus is in the temple as the Jews are celebrating the rededication of the temple, right? Where the Jews then demand that he tell, quote, tell them plainly whether he is the Christ or not. Now, why would they do that? They're setting him up, right? If he tells them straight up, yeah, I'm the Christ, then they got a trap for him, right? If he doesn't tell them, that he's the Christ, then they got a trap for him too. So they're trying to set him up like they always do. Okay? So his response is, Jesus answers by saying that he already told them, but they won't believe because they are not of his sheep. And we talked about the sheep in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Jim and Wine did an excellent job of explaining the sheep pens and Jesus being the good shepherd and the door of the sheep pen. When I was researching this part of it, I found... This quote from D.A. Carson, by the way, the sheep are drawn out of the fold or the sheep pen of Judaism and from other pens as well, Gentiles, right? Attracted by the voice of the shepherd because they will only listen to the voice of the shepherd, right? And constitute one new flock, the Messianic community. Again, that's from Carson. Any comments or questions? Again, feel free to interrupt me, stop me, challenge me, whatever you need to do. So um, so then Jesus asserts his equality with God, right? I and the Father are one, right? And then, so then the Jews try to stone him again <laughs> because how can you claim to be God? So <laughs> you can see they're, they're, work, they're still working against him. So they try to grab him and Jesus eludes their grasp he leaves the temple and goes to where John was first baptizing. So that's either at uh, Bethabara, or I guess that's how you pronounce it, Bethabara maybe, or, mm-hmm. uh, but, but, I can't say this word, but, somebody say that for me. Batania. Batania, yeah, I don't know why I can't say that this morning. <laughs> I can say it so, and there's, as with everything in the Bible, there's a huge controversy over about where he went. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. But, many people believed on him there. Mm-hmm. Now, he was there for a while, because he leaves the temple, and this is in, and goes out there, and this is in December. When he comes back later, as we'll talk about when he heals Lazarus and stuff, this is right before his whole passion begins, and we know that Jesus was crucified in April. So somewhere between December and April, he was out there. So not sure how long exactly, but that's where he was. Okay, That's what he was doing. And a lot of people believed on him there. So here's Batanea. Let me get out my little pointer here for a reason. 
So this whole area right in here in this yellow area is uh, Batanea, and it's, it's uh, Philip's tetrarchy. So his little, like, rulership. Now, Philip, anybody know who Philip is? Yeah, he's one of the Herod brothers, right? So they kind of divided up all the rule between the bros, and Philip is one of them, and this is his territory here, okay? Now, notice, notice the Sea of Galilee here, and the Jordan River coming down here, and the Jordan, you know, going out of it. So this is the Sea of Galilee. Notice, keep this shape in your mind. And this is where I think, and Carson thinks as well, that uh, John the Baptist was baptizing in this area up here. And, and there's reasons for it, and I'll get that into that in a minute. Um, this is like northeast of Jerusalem. The, the place where they take the tourists yes. is south. Yes, I know. <laughs> that is, that it, the place where they take the tourists is right here, right above the Dead Sea, yeah. on the other side of the Jordan. Yeah. So that's where the controversy is. Mm -hmm. That there's, there's, in fact, the majority of people believe it's right here. But what the problem is, is that it doesn't really match what the text says. So I'm going to try to bring that out here. Now, I went online and I found this website that allows you to draw a circle mm -hmm. on Google Maps. And this particular circle, the radius of this circle, is 125, no, excuse me, 150 kilometers. Mm -hmm. And if you see, that that puts that range right about here. See, this is the Sea of Galilee up there where it says Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. It's also called sometimes the Sea of Tiberias. Mm -hmm. So that's the Sea of Galilee where we just saw the picture. And this area over here is, you know, under the rule of Philip over here. And like you said, Jim, most people say it's right here. I even looked it up online. They have like a pool and stuff there, and they have buildings and you know. And I guess the Jordanians allow you to cross over, you know, for a fee. I'm sure, but uh, the tourists are going here. And then here's Jerusalem, right here. So any questions about that? I mean, are we oriented, oriented to the map? Okay. Uh, from Jewish sources. It is well known that a day's journey for a healthy person was considered to be 40 or 45 kilometers. That's about 20 miles, 20 plus miles. Um, the 150 kilometers, right, and by the way, Bethany is right here by the Mount of Olives, so it's like on the east side of Jerusalem and a little bit south on the road to Jordan. So it's, it's like right over here. So this 150 kilometers is this range that you would be able to travel in four days. If you could, you know, roughly like 40 to 45 kilometers a day. Those guys are pretty healthy. 20 miles is a long walk. That's like a marathon almost, right? 26.2 miles. They claim the average walking speed is three miles an hour. So in seven hours, uh, you can do 21 yeah. miles. That's yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. So the 150 kilometers that separate Bethany near Jerusalem from Bethany, uh, Batanea over here, it, by the way, we don't know where Bethany of Bethania is. Nobody knows where that is. The archaeologists haven't discovered it yet, so they don't know where it is. That's part of the whole controversy here. Uh, would require the four days as suggested. So that's why Carson is saying, well, we'll get to that, but Carson is saying with the four days, because when Jesus left to the time that he got to where Lazarus was, Lazarus was dead for four days. So either he was really lollygagging on this trip, or uh, it was four days away. That's where the controversy came. Or, or yeah. he just did not leave immediately yeah. and stayed put. Yeah, the scripture says that he waited. There yeah, we're going to get to that. We're going to wait. Wait. Hold on. Don't get ahead of me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But that's good. I like the feedback. <laughs> Okay, the traditional interpretation of where Jesus was staying during this time was in the Transjordan, which is that area just north of the Dead Sea, which was at most a two-day journey away from Bethany near Jerusalem. Okay, this transition or traditional Transjordan location is uh, somewhere on the other side of the Jordan River, just above the Dead Sea, and this is where many believe that John the Baptist was baptizing. So that's where, like you said, that's where they take the tourists. 
D.A. Carson sees it a little bit differently, and I have a lot of respect for the guy, and I like his argument, so I'm going to go with that for now. Uh, the traditional interpretation must presuppose that Lazarus died almost as soon as the messenger left Bethany with the news that Lazarus was ill. So if he's going to be dead for four days and it's only a two-day journey, then what the traditional interpretation says, okay, the, the messenger left and then Lazarus died. Right? Took him two days to get there. Right? Tells Jesus. And then Jesus says, okay, we're going to wait here for two days and then he comes, comes back. But the math doesn't kind of work out. So it's kind of problematic. You see what I'm saying? This overlooks the differences between verses 11.4 and 11.11. When the messenger first arrives, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death, which presupposes that as far as Jesus is concerned, Lazarus was ill, but he was still alive. And Jesus would know that. Jesus knew all these things. So he knew. He said, when the guy said, he tells us, or when the guy arrives, or the people arrive to tell him that Lazarus is ill, he tells his disciples, this illness is not going to, is not going to end in death. It has another purpose. So he's assuming that he is alive. Only after the two-day delay does Jesus say, our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, falling asleep. So Jesus waits two days and then says, Jesus died. So he knew he died. He would have known that he was alive, too. Makes sense, right? Almost as if his supernaturally acquired knowledge of Lazarus' death is the divine signal that sends him and his disciples off to Bethany. That means the four days that elapse between Lazarus' death and his resurrection, which is in verse 17, begin just before Jesus sets out on the trip to Bethany. If Jesus were staying in the Transjordan, only one day, or at the most two, would be required for the journey. From Jewish sources, it's well known that Jay's journey, we already mentioned this, is 40 to 45 kilometers, the 150 kilometers that separate Bethany near Jerusalem to Batanea would require the four days suggested by 17. So this is how he's setting up the argument. <laughs> and he's basing it on the text. And just think it through. Bless you. I hope you're going to come to a good reason why we're doing all these distance things here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because there's another controversy about all of that. Okay. Okay. Because the controversy is, why did Jesus wait? He could have gone and what? Healed him. So the question is, why did he wait? And people are saying, well, he was being cruel, or he was being whatever. So there always, there's all these controversies around surrounding all of this. So that's why we're working through this to try to figure out, why did Jesus wait? Because as we'll find out, there's a reason that he waited. So, all of that is just background, okay? That's just to get us to chapter 11, which is where we are now. Somebody read that for me? Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Okay. Um, so, Ma so Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings, brothers and sisters. And Lazarus is the brother, and he's got two sisters here mentioned. Okay, and they live in... Bethany, which, as we said before, was about two miles from Jerusalem, southeast. Oops, I keep pressing this, and I mean to press that. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I think it's interesting. They didn't say, come quickly and heal our, our brother or anything like that. They just sent somebody to say, Lord, the person you love is sick. They kind of... They, well, they, they assumed he was going to do something, or they basically left it up to him. Mm -hmm. They left it up to him what to do. We're just telling you, Lazarus is really sick. So they didn't request anything. But when Jesus heard this, somebody read that for me. <clears throat> so, but when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end. What did I say? And in? And in death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Okay. So, this sickness that he's talking about, uh, in, in the translation, it says, not to end in death, but for the glory of God. But the sickness did end in death. Mm 
he died. So what I found in looking at the Greek was that this end in is not actually in in the Greek. So that's why I crossed it out here. Oh, that's why I couldn't see it. Yeah, sorry about that. For the, okay. So that the Son of... For the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified for it. So if we read it, the sickness is not death. Not to death. Not to not death. To death. To death. We're going to talk about that here. So here's the actual Greek. Okay. And I'm not showing you the Greek to show off or anything. Anybody here can learn Greek. <laughs> I'm just doing this because I want everybody to understand what the actual text actually said. So I don't... If there's something important that I think is important, that's why I'm going to show you the Greek. Okay, so this pros is the word too. I put it in red. Two is this word pros. Mm -hmm. If you look in BDAG, which is a like the lexicon that everybody uses, if you have pros with the accusative, that means this word death is a noun. It could be in Greek. It could be in the nominative, like it could be the subject of a sentence. It could be also a subject complement. It could be an accusative, which is like a direct object. It can be in the dative. You know, it can be in different forms. And the, the forms are based on the ending of the word, the letters that are used. So this debt is in the accusative. And BDAG says that pros with the accusative is a marker of movement or orientation towards someone or something. And then it has a bunch of categories under that. And the C category actually mentions this particular verse, and it says, of a goal aiming or striving towards someone or something. So when this particular construction in the sentence occurs, this is saying in the Greek that this two here, referring to this sickness, has a goal. And the goal is what? The glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Does that make sense? That's not, that's not too technical or anything? So basically, Lazarus' sickness, it did it in death, but that was not the goal of the sickness. The goal of the sickness was to glorify God. That's the same thing as the man at the temple. Who is sin, this man or his parents? This man or his parents. Neither. Either. It's from the glory. Or the man or mm -hmm. the man that was born blind. Yeah. Right? So what does this tell us about sickness and handicaps and those things? Alright? I mean the God has a purpose in these things. That there's a reason that these things happen and nothing is out of his control. So that that's that's why I wanted to bring this out because I think it's very important for us to understand. I mean, we've had a couple of deaths in our family, right? And that's hard to process. You grieve, you miss these people. But there's a purpose in these things, and God is under control, in control, and He has everything under control. So bad things are going to happen, but God is in control of these things. Any questions or comments on that? But you're not saying that all death, fam our families, and so forth, no, I'm not saying just talking about this one. Just talking, talking about, about this, this particular, particular one. one. Yes, well, but. But Paul says in uh, Acts 17 that our times and habitations are set for us, right. that God does that. So maybe to answer your question, yes, all of our times are set for the purposes he has for us. Right. But yeah. it's not always for the glory of God. In this way. In a cumulative <laughs> sense, yes. In yeah. a cumulative sense, yes, because yeah. he's in control of all things. Right. But it may not be specifically so that somebody gets raised from the dead. You know, this is to, this is not only to glorify God, but so that the Son of God may be glorified by Yeah. Right? And so that he can demonstrate who he is. That's what he's doing. Right. He's demonstrating who he is. So when Jesus said, I already told you, he not only told him, he was demonstrating who he was. I mean, this is going to be hard to deny right here. When, he's, when, when we get to the end of this, this is going to be a problem for the people that hate him and wanted to get rid of him. It's going to be a big problem. So, now, and then John says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard, now pay attention to the red he's here. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> now these, these little, William has been talking 
a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about basically how he goes about studying the Bible, or doing, basically he's talking about hermeneutics, proper way to study the Bible. Um, sometimes these he's can be confusing. These little pronouns can get in the way of understanding what the scripture is saying. Now, in this case, it's pretty easy to figure out, right? The first he, when he heard, we already see up there that Jesus heard. So we know this is Jesus. And then we know that Lazarus was sick, so we know that he corresponds to Lazarus. Then he stayed two days longer, so that was Jesus staying two days longer in the place where he was, so he didn't go anywhere. So we understand that. Now, there's another principle in, in hermeneutics about... Uh, the Bible is progressive revelation. So like when we start off in Genesis, we don't really know that much about God. We don't even really, we don't know that much about Jesus Christ, right? We have Genesis 3.15, we know that someone is coming, right? And as, as we go through the Old Testament, this knowledge about God progressively builds and progressively builds, and then we get to the New Testament, and then what happens in the New Testament is that Jesus and the apostles start interpreting what is happening in the Old Testament and telling us what those things are, how to understand those old things. So I wanted to bring that out as, a, as a, an important principle as we study that we need to make sure that we let the New Testament interpret the Old. The Old can illuminate things for us in the New Testament, but when the New Testament is going to take priority over things that happen in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Any questions about that? Okay, I was going to give you some uh, homework, but I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> okay, someone like to read that for me? Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. They were going there again. <laughs> Remember? Why is he out there? They were trying to kill him. Right. They were going to stone him, and it wasn't his time to be killed. Right? So he went out there, and he's ministering to the people there. I'm sure he's doing all kinds of miracles and stuff out there that weren't recorded. But a lot of people out there came to see him and believed in him. So someone would like to read that for me? Jim, you got, you got that? Jim? Which one are we talking about? Jesus answered? Oh, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Thank you. So what's all this 12 hours talk about? <laughs> what's he talking about here? It's kind of, it's kind of cryptic, isn't it? Why, why does he say that? Anybody got any ideas? I think he's saying um, you need to take everything into consideration, the fact that you have the light of the world with you right now, and you're seeing things that people have wanted to see for a long time, but they were in the dark to it, and now it's all being illuminated. So pay attention. Mm. That's, that's very good. Anything else? Any other possibilities? You might be saying that those who walk at night are blind or walking in darkness, and he is the light. Yep. Now, Jesus specifically because said... the light is not in him. Right. So we're, we're talking metaphorically here, right? Jesus right. is talking also here. He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Now, what is the light of this world? It's the sun, right? I mean, he sees the sun. When you walk in the day, you can see. When you walk at night, you can't. And it, he says there's 12 hours in a day. Why is that important? Because when the sun is up. Basically, yeah. That generally people say the sun's up for 12 hours. So... Um, I like what Carson said about this. He said, as an answer to the question of the disciples as to why Jesus is determined to go up to Judea. By the way, they thought he was crazy, right? Okay. These verses metaphorically insist that Jesus is safe as long as he performs his Father's will. The daylight period of his ministry may be far advanced, but it is wrong to quit before the 12 hours have been filled up. So Jesus had an assignment from God the Father. He had many assignments. And he came to do the Father's will. And he knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He knew what he had to do. And so he's telling his disciples and letting them know, hey, you guys are going to have similar things in your life. You need to finish. Like Paul said, I finished my course. I did what I was required to do. And Jesus is going to do 
as setting the example, he's going to do what he was assigned to do by the Father. Any questions or comments on that? So this is Jesus saying, make hay while the sun's up. Make hay, grow your <laughs> corn while the sun is shining. You know, that's what we say at work. you got to grow your corn while the sun is shining. Someone would like to read that for me? This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Okay, here's the book of John is about misunderstandings, right? And we've learned that. So here's another misunderstanding. Jesus is telling them he's asleep. But he means he's dead. They're like, look, this is asleep. Just wake him up. Yeah, he's going to wake up eventually. <laughs> Maybe he drank too much wine. I don't know. Besides, the disciples don't want to leave where they're at right now. Yeah. Right? They're they're safe. They're, you know, the Lord is safe where they are. He's four days away from Jerusalem, potentially. Right? Depending on what you believe. So he's safe right now. Um, now notice Jesus says Lazarus is their friend. They all knew him. Okay, but it is Jesus is going who is going to awaken him. They can't do this at this point in their, in, in their ministry, but Jesus can. One day Jesus will awaken all of his friends from sleep. He's going to awaken us all. He's going to resurrect us all his friends from the dead. Um, here in verse 13, we see that Jesus once again Jesus was speaking metaphorically, but the people just misunderstood him. Uh, they took it literally. And that's a problem when, take, when something's meant to be metaphorical and we take it literally, that causes a problem. If it's meant to be literally, literal and we take it metaphorically, that's another problem. So <laughs> we have to try our best to understand the, the, what the scriptures are saying. Remember that misunderstanding is a feature of the Gospel of John. And then I can't think of a time in the New Testament where Jesus was present that someone died in his presence. Even the thieves on the cross didn't die until Jesus had already died. Jesus is the life, right? He's that Zoe life, right? <coughs> All right. Uh, anybody want to read this one for me? Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Yeah, I got ahead on my note there. That last note about people not dying in his presence. Um, what version is this that you're reading from? This is a New American Standard. Okay. That's what I usually read from. NASB 95. So, why was Jesus glad? He was happy that he was not there. Why? So that they may believe. Right? He said, for your sakes, right? He's talking to his disciples. But it wasn't just for their sakes. Who else? Who else would believe? Us, right? <coughs> what about what about his brother? What about his sisters? They're gonna believe. And they yeah, in the community. And all the people standing around. We're gonna see that there's a crowd that he, this didn't just happen in a vacuum. This happened he raised Lazarus with a bunch of people around. Okay. So that's why Jesus was glad. Yeah, he was I'm sure sad that Lazarus had died, but he knew what he was going to do. There's another thing, and I don't mean to steal your thunder if you're going there. The Jews believed that the spirit hung around the body for about three days yep. and then went off to the bosom of Abraham. So if he got there between the death and those three days, they might say, oh, he was just still hovering around. Yep. So you've got to make a, a, an accommodation of that. No, yeah. I was thinking about bringing that up, but I'm glad you did. So yeah, that was a belief that can be, that can be traced back at least to the second century. So the assumption is that the Jewish folks also believed this. So there's a reason that he hung out for another two days. <laughs> Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, uh, said to his fellow disciples, "Let us go, so that we may die with them." He sounds like Eeyore in my mind. Right? <laughs> or does he? He's not brave. What are your thoughts on Thomas's comment? I think he was bold. He's saying, if this is where this is all going, I'm, I want to be there. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, let's, if this is our faith, we're, we're dedicated to Jesus, right? I'm dedicated to him. If we have to die, let's go. Let's go get it over with. That's what they were all thinking. If you go back, you're going to die. Yeah, and we're going to die with you. I mean, he said it. He just saw him bring less respect. So he's probably thinking, hey, they could kill us, but he's just going to bring us back. So we'll be fine. Actually, we haven't got to that yet. But yeah, I mean, you haven't got there yet. So they're still they're still hanging out in wherever they are. All right? Does this happen? Can't remember whether he raised the widow's son before then. That happened before. Yeah, that happened he, before. So people had seen him. People raise, have seen it. Yeah. Raise a person from hmm. the dead. But he hadn't been dead for four days. No. So, but so this people is, could, like he said, people could say, "Hey, yeah, you know, yeah. he just he was, it was he was trick. asleep." He was this is not the resurrection that Jesus is talking about in our passage. Though. No, this is not the one. That, that's a different one. Where, and he raised somebody else, too. I, I can't remember exactly who at this point, but there were at least two. Yes. So, but this one is different because he's dead, dead. <laughs> <laughs> not mostly dead. He's not mostly dead. He's like dead, dead. And we'll see. Um, all right, I missed a verse. So when Jesus... Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Is that it's in regard of the four days? It's a, it's a good. Uh, I never thought about because I never heard about the three days that the <coughs> that the Jewish people consider that the spirit uh, hovers around and they might get back. Uh, that is uh, probably the, the the reasoning of Jesus waiting for the until the four days. But now I'm thinking about those other resurrections. Is there a, like historical evidence or? Uh, um, to see those other resurrections happen during those three days to give an argument for the Jewish people to say? Well, I, I think from the context of, I remember, I didn't actually look into those, but I think they were pretty quick after they died. Like, right. they just died and went in and raised them, right? right. So, so it wasn't a four-day thing. The other thing that the Jews believe <coughs> is that the reason they believe that the, the body hung around for three days, or the soul mm-hmm. hung around for three days, is that when it saw the body starting to decompose, then it left. Okay. So that was their thinking on the four-day thing. So three days, you're not really, you know, decaying yet, but on the fourth day, yeah, okay, it's obvious so the spirit leaves. <laughs> so when Jesus came, he found that there had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So John throws in that he's about two miles away. Okay, He was 150 kilometers away, kind of in relative safety, but now he's coming back into their territory. Right? He's only two miles away from them. And you, like, you can walk that in less than an hour. <laughs> so uh, he's getting close to them, and he's, he's, he knows what's coming, but he's, he's doing this on purpose. At that time, the Jewish funeral custom dictated that even a poor family was expected to hire at least two flute players and a professional wailing woman. Okay? Um, that, was, that was their custom. Okay? Lazarus' family appears to be influential and wealthy as many of the Jews came to console them. Their wealth is hinted at from the expensive perfume that Mary used to anoint Jesus, referenced in verse 2, we read it earlier, and detailed in chapter 12, 1 to 3. There may have been many musicians and per, uh, professional whalers, right? so there were pro whalers. So <laughs> I'm thinking like pro wrestlers, there's pro whalers. Um, anyway, man, we're running out of time. All right. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus... Do you need, do you need to go another week? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. Uh, we'll see. I'm uh, I'm 17 to 23, so I think we can make it. If okay. you guys can bear with me, just a, maybe a few minutes extra, I think we can make it. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. This is kind of typical of Mary and Martha. Mary seems to be the kind of person that's doing all the things, cleaning up, making you know dinner, you know hospitality and everything, and Mary seems to be like either more emotional or more 
intellectual or you know thinking about the deeper things, you always find her around the feet of Jesus in the scriptures. So, so Martha, she goes out to meet him, but Mary stays home. She's there with the mourners, right, and the professional wailers and the musicians. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So I highlighted those two I knows there. Um, how did Martha know these two things? Jesus had taught them that there would be a final resurrection unto judgment one day. And it's, it's all pre-told um, uh, in the Old Testament. Too. So we went through, that's why we went through those examples, right? Yeah. You see it in Daniel and you know, the Psalms and, and the other places where God has told us. You know, this is, again, progressive revelation. So it taught that. Even the rabbis taught this. I had some rabbinical stuff in here, but I took it out because it was just too much. But even the rabbis thought this. So they knew it. Now, what's interesting, again, I looked into the Greek I, under no. Okay. Looking at the Greek words, the Greek word here for no is oida. This is not mostly, at least in my experience, reading the word no, it's gnosko. This is a different word for no. According to Bdag, when oida is followed by hati, as it is here. So, I know that. That's the word hati. When oida is followed by hati, as it is here, then it indicates a well-known fact that is generally accepted. So it's generally accepted that whatever Jesus asks of God, he gives them. They've seen that, right? So it's generally accepted. And Martha knew that, or, yeah, Martha knew that it was generally accepted that we will all rise in the resurrection on the last day. These are generally known things. <clears throat> Got another note here. Seems out of place. All right. <clears throat> so finally, we get to our verse. <laughs> so Jesus said to her, I am. That's the ego of me, right? He's saying, I am. The resurrection. It's got the definite article in, in the Greek. So it's not a resurrection or an resurrection. It is, I am the resurrection and I am the life. So he's, these two things. And that life there is that Zoe life, that we were, Zoe life that we were talking about a few weeks ago. It's the life of God. It's the life that God gives to us. It's that eternal life that gives to us. And where do we get that from? We get that from him because that's who he is. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. <clears throat> okay, when I was reading this, it reminded me of Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Would somebody like to read that for me, please? For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> amen. I'm sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, but for by him all things were created, not all other things, as they would say. Or they say, uh, they add other things right here, too, right there. They add another right there. So, mm -hmm. sorry, that's not in the Greek. You're adding that. You're changing the text. So, all things were made by him. Everything was made by Jesus Christ. Invisible and visible. The air that we're breathing that he made, that we can't see, he made that too. Uh, he made all things. <clears throat> He's the resurrection and the life. The, the word for resurrection, the root word for that means to stand up. So one day he's going to stand up the dead at, at his second coming. He's going to stand them up. This word is used of erecting a building or a statue. If you think about it, Jesus originally stood up Adam from the dust of the ground. He created all things that stood him up from the dust of the ground. So if he did it once, it's not going to be a problem for him at all. Even if our bodies turn into dust or we're cremated, it doesn't matter. He can stand us up. Um, 
And everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to get into some more Greek here. I'll translate it for you. And all who live and believe in me. Then we got this. Who may? What is that? You guys remember what that is? This is an error subjunctive verb. What is this? Double negative. It's a double negative. So it's emphatic negation. Never, never. Never, never, never. Right? It's never, never. And then Jesus throws in this little thing that's not in this translation. It doesn't show up in the translation. Ace tone Iona. Which means forever. So what Jesus is saying here is that and everyone who believes in me will never, 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 never die forever. Mm-hmm. Somebody say amen. That's amazing. That's <laughs> absolutely amazing. So in the Greek, it brings it out in like full color. So we can see John 8.35 to see where this, this ace tone Iona is also used. It says twice. Uh, the slave does not remain in the house forever. That's that ace tone Iona. The son does remain forever. So twice in that verse, that particular phrase is used and translated as forever. So I think that's absolutely amazing. Then Mary's, or Martha's response, she, says, she, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Uh, I have believed this in the perfect tense, meaning that it was a past event producing present and abiding consequences. I'm trying to hurry here. When she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. So Martha leaves, comes back. He's still waiting there for her. Uh, Mary, I mean, Martha leaves, but Mary comes back. <clears throat> then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. So all these people that were there, and there were many of them were there, they followed her. Therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, was she saw him and fell at his feet. That's what she always did. Saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the very same thing that Martha did. Now, I'm sure they were talking about it. You know, if the Lord was here, he wouldn't have died. So they both say that to him. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then it says that Jesus wept. Why was Jesus deeply moved and troubled in himself? I think you hit the nail right on the head. Isn't there another part of that that it it shows, he says he was actually angry, and the, the word is rage? Some say that he was. You mean like that? There you go. Raged? Yeah. omai is the Greek word. It means to snort or to scold. Uh, the verb is attested in the meaning snort as an expression of rage. John 11, 38. Like a bull snorting. Becoming indignant, becoming furious. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he was very upset. It wasn't just like he was like grieved. He was really. But he's not going to be grieved for Lazarus. Why? He knows what he's going to do. So he's not upset with that. He's upset upset with them. He's upset with them, right? What does the crucial word, ember, what I can't even say it, actually mean? In extra biblical Greek, it can refer to the snorting of horses as applied to humans. It invariably suggests anger, outrage, or emotional indignation. In the New Testament, it occurs twice in this chapter and elsewhere in Matthew. And there's a textual variant. That's quote from Carson. Here's, I got a couple of quotes and I'm going to try it into with this. Um, some think that Jesus is moved by their grief and is consequently angry with the sin, sickness, and death in this fallen world that wreaks so much havoc and generates so much sorrow. Other think, others think that the anger is directed at the unbelief itself. The men and women before him were grieving like pagans, like the rest of men who have no hope, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Profound grief at such bereavement is natural enough. The grief that degenerates to despair, that pours out its losses as if there were no resurrection, is an implicit denial of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. 
So the Jews were saying, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could, this, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept him from dying? Again, I apologize, I'm rushing here. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved. So he's angry at that, too. He gets mad at that, too. Came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. And Jesus says, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. So that's kind of indicating what we were talking about before. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. So again, he's doing this for their belief. When he had heard these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Okay. Now think about this. Think about what would have happened if Lazarus didn't come forth. We probably would have never heard of Jesus. <laughs> right? We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. We would not be here. Think about this. There's, huge, there's a crowd standing around, people that are forming against him. And I'm sure Lazarus didn't just hop out of the thing and just run out immediately, right? He was bound and tied up, right? So he kind of stumbles out of there. So there was probably a little bit of a pause, kind of a dramatic pause. Everybody's waiting. And then people are probably saying, who does this guy think he is? He thinks he can raise somebody from the dead, and then Lazarus comes walking out. had to be a great dramatic moment. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. That's what Jesus did for us, too. We were in prison to our sin, and Jesus unbound us, and he let us go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. (laughs) Yeah, okay. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So some of them went and ratted him out. Right? Right? Can you imagine? Right? And this is what. So what did they do? Therefore, the chief priests and Pharisees convened the council, and were saying, "What are we doing? For this man is performing many miracles, many signs. If we let him go on like this, everybody's going to believe in him." Right? And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So what did they do? They killed them to protect their city and their nation. Protect their position, their city, and their nation. But what happened? Exactly what happened. The Romans came eventually and did exactly what they were afraid of. They came and wiped out their city. They wiped it off the face of the map because they killed their Messiah. They killed the promised one that God promised to them. So the very thing that they didn't want to happen, they caused to happen. So I'm sorry I'm a little bit over, but that's it. Uh, any questions or comments? <coughs> Glory to God, right? That's awesome. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.